and I have to just say, education is a means to an end for me. Education is a means to solving inequality, which I think is the greatest problem that exists in South Africa. Hey guys, welcome back to the Matt Brown Show. This podcast is powered by Matt Brown Media, and I'm proud to bring you the stories of entrepreneurs who are hustling today's markets and creating great things in their own lives and in the world of business. So when I look at the business world today, and just in life in general, perhaps the only constant in everything is change. In an entrepreneur's world, how do you manage change? Change within yourself and change within your business. Change isn't an easy thing to manage. It takes guts, it takes determination, and arguably above all, it takes perseverance. In this episode, I speak to Mark Sham about how to manage change. Now, as many of you know, Mark Sham is the founder of Suits and Sneakers. And Mark has this compelling vision of changing the education system within South Africa. And he's very well placed to comment on how to change things and pay attention to the analogies that we both use around how we've managed change in our own lives and in the world of business. So without further ado, enter Mark Sham. Hey guys, welcome back to the Matt Brown Show. So how's it, Mark Sham? Aloha. <laughs> so um, I said welcome back. So you literally are back for the second time. And if you guys haven't um, checked out the uh, the first version of Mark Sham's interview, don't go there. It sounds horrible. That's when we're still working out what the fuck to do. <laughs> but it was a great ep- episode. There's still some good stuff there. So uh, so go and have a look. Go and have a look and a giggle at the same time. <laughs> and how far you have come in the space and time. I've just watched your ascent and it's been, it's been magnificent to watch. Thanks, man. It means a lot to eh? um, Yeah, it's a labor of love. Um, it's got to start making some cash at some point. <laughs> but, uh, but look, I was like, I keep saying to people, I had Prudence Bratton on the show not so long ago. And she was like, but I can't believe you're not making money off this thing. And I was like, but the whole, it's a, uh, your philosophy and my philosophy are very similar. They're just on different trajectories. Like I never, I never started the show to make money and it was about growing entrepreneurship. It was about purpose and something or that was really fundamentally about contribution beyond yourself and leaving a legacy. And Hey, if you make money, that's great. It's, but it's not the reason why. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you get, I guess you fit into the top 1% of people, even maybe less than that who actually stuck it through. I think there's all sorts of statistics that say that people, they get lucky if they get three or four episodes in and then they never go back. Yeah. Even we can attest to that. It's really difficult to run a podcast. Um, so watching you do what you've done over the last while has been really impressive because even we've, uh, as suits and sneakers have taken a stab at it. Um, in fairness, took a horrible stab, but tried, but just to realize it's not as, it's not, it's not always as simple as people think. There's a lot that goes into it. So well done. I think um, just as a fan, I think you've done a really good job. Cool, dude. I'll take that one to the bank. Just not the wank bank. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, Yeah. So our burning platform to today is change. And anyone that's run a business will attest to this. And in fact, you could look broader and say anyone that's alive right now will understand that the only constant in life and in business is change. And so 
we're going to explore that today and hopefully we can share some analogies between our businesses because when were you on the show actually it was april last year no 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 I, I i remember it because i'd just moved into um, my temporary spot and i think it was around august or september that i was on and we did the uh, interview via Zoom, if I remember That's correctly. Right, yeah. And what was so funny to it is that I literally, I had no furniture in the house. So I sat on a mattress and did the, <laughs> the podcast with you. I thought you were sitting on a bed. <laughs> That's why. So <laughs> I don't just sit on mattresses for my health uh, yeah. <laughs> during the middle of the day. <laughs> like I said, don't go there. <laughs> hey, the one thing I had was Wi-Fi. And that was, according to the new... Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's basically the most important thing to live. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So let's start with you. Um, dude, I would like to say it's something a bit of like a wank fest now, but it's like yeah. I've just watched you build this amazing brand called Suits and Sneakers, and, and the first time you were on the show, I was like jealous about the name. Do you remember? I was yes. like, shit, how did you come up with that? And you were sharing the story around, um, you can probably relay it better. Yeah, so Suits and Sneakers, well, the name, let's start there. Um Actually, I got a little bit lucky with the name because we were obviously trying to go for something unique and we were having a bit of a powwow session in my office uh, really long ago, about two and a half, maybe even three years ago uh, before this thing became a thing. And um, I was trying to, I was trying to illustrate that how learning is about to change. And I've, the one thing that stayed constant for the last while is that I've said that the future of education is a blend between formal and informal education. And someone just said, like suits and sneakers. And I, in fact, it's a, a good mate of mine, Francois Lowe, who was, happened to be there with me. And as he said, suits and sneakers, I was like, dude, hold on. That's cold. That's cold. That's cold. <laughs> and we've never let go of it ever. Yeah. That's um, great. So, so what have been like, so it's been uh, 10 months. Like when you look back over the last 10 months, what jumps for you as kind of key headlines and developments? Yeah. I, well, the biggest one is that suits and sneakers was a part time deal. Um, but somewhere along the line last year, I think it was March or April, I made the decision that I wanted to do it full-time. But deciding to do it full-time and actually doing it full-time was two different things. So I made the decision and I tried to sell as many of the other businesses that I had. Some of them were always just for fun anyway. But the biggest development is that from 1 Jan, uh, we became a full-time gig as far as suits and sneakers goes. We've got staff. You know, we've got, we've got a co-working space, which is something we didn't, we were talking about. Um, so yeah, certainly from that end, the last, there's been a quickening over the last 10 months, as you say, because when you go from doing it uh, on the sidelines to doing it full time, it changes the game. And I gave up every other crutch I had, you know, every other alternative revenue source, because I felt like anything that I was doing in other, in other directions was stealing opportunity cost, I guess, to work on suits and sneakers. So it's been challenging, um, from that end, because just because, you love it and just because you would understand this just because it's got notoriety doesn't always mean immediately when you need to you can turn it into money but i'm still here i haven't defaulted on my bond yet which is a real win and uh i'm happy <laughs> <laughs> that's positive change <laughs> that you can bank <laughs> uh, yeah but that's great so i mean i've i was at i unfortunately couldn't make the last suits and sneakers but i was at the one 
um, with our friend Carl Fassman. Mm. Uh, funny story there. Do you remember at, when you launched here at Impella? By the way, guys, we're sitting in Impella's offices now. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that shameless plug. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come look. <laughs> Mention my name at the door. <laughs> You'll get the biggest surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and Carl Fassman was here. Uh, there was, who was the chick going to Mars? Adriana Maria. Adriana Maria. And the third guy? That was Ron Noina. Ron Noina, yeah. And oh, and Kai Langer, but he was meant to make it that night and he but kind he of couldn't missed do out. It. So, anyway, so we, we, it was a bit of a scorp up here, lots of speeches and stuff. Carl did a bit of a teaser for his main speech at uh, Think Suits and Sneakers 4. And, um, and then right at the end of the evening, you, there was a. Remember that taxi driver guy? Yes. Uh, what's Desmond. It? Desmond, that's From. It. Um, I've suddenly lost my brain. Um, from some, I can't remember the company, the name of the zebra, 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 zebra cabs. cabs. Zebra Good cabs. God, sorry, I do lose words often. Okay, <laughs> zebra fine. cabs is listening. So you remember, and it was almost like one of those moments where we were all packing up, leaving, and whatever, and then and then Desmond pulled up with the zebra cab behind me. So there was no one in the car, so I get in the car. And he drives 10 meters and Carl Fussman, Adriana Marie, <laughs> and Carl's manager all get into the taxi. Yes. And I was like, this is almost like a dream come true. You know what I mean? <laughs> or just like talk about just – because there's an old thing. Like if you hang around people that are successful, this is probably a shit example. But, <laughs> but if you hang around people who are successful for long enough, you'll eventually – get an opportunity and i liken that principle to that opportunity so i spent that cab ride all the way back to their hotel and whatever just picking cole fussman's brains he's interviewed fucking i mean you'll know more than than i will yes i mean who has he interviewed well before i get into that you obviously were rewarded for a good decision that you made that night because i remember that very clearly basically what we had that night was like a meet and greet for select guests Mm. and um we had a few drinks that night. I don't think anything was out of control, but we had, we all had a few drinks and you had made this decision not to drink and drive. And look how that worked out because you were, I think you were waiting for a, an, an Uber to come your way. And I was like, no, dude, I mean, Desmond's right here and I actually don't need the lift. So I'm glad that worked out. Carl Fussman, what an interesting character. I mean, obviously I had heard about him originally from listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast and he turned out to be so popular that it wasn't even four or five months later that that Tim brought him back on. And those are still two of the longest podcasts on Tim Ferriss's show. Uh, the one is two and a half hours and the one's three and a half hours long. How do you do a podcast for three and a half hours? Well, I mean, you, this guy's got some serious stories to tell. And b- the people clearly loved it because they asked for him to come back. So they didn't mind. I must say, the one thing I've always loved about podcasting is the long form nature of it. I think it's the only space left to do that kind of thing. People want videos in, in seconds and minutes. You know, everything must be short. Whereas podcasting, you can actually just, like, we can have this conversation like we're doing right now. Yeah. Instead of being rushed into, well, who are you? What do you do? Great, we got that. Cheers. Yeah, it's a lean back experience. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, well said. So, yeah, I mean, I'd listen to him on the podcast. And one night I was having a little bit of wine. And long story short, I wrote into him and said, hey, I noticed how much you love your wine. You know, South Africa, we've got some of the best wines. I'm just wanting to know if you've ever been to South Africa. And he told me that the question hooked him, which is quite ironic because his whole message was when he got here was that changing your questions can change your life. So I knew not to just write to him straight off the bat and say, you know, have you ever been to South Africa? Will you speak? I kind of spoke about wine and his fascination around it. And it turned out he had never been here. And so we arranged terms and 
and he came. And yeah, he's interviewed the masses, every big name star you can think of. The typical ones, Jimmy Carter, like former US president, Muhammad Ali, Mikhail Gorbachev. I mean, you could list guys on, yeah. but yeah, he's, he's done his rounds. So that's, so me being the sort of, um, what do you, what do you call it? The, the, the apprentice type <laughs> yeah. guy, I suppose, if you wanted to give it a kind of a persona. So I was just picking him about like, his brain around interviewing and the tough questions and who was the, like, have you ever felt like you, you know, you failed at an interview or tell me about a time that, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I think by the time he got back to his hotel, he was exhausted. <laughs> well, you know, one of his saving graces, because obviously we were very lucky to spend a whole bunch of time with him. Um, when he was here, he spoke at Suits and Sneakers and then we took him to Cape Town for a week and we all stayed together because I made good on the fact that we were going to take him around the country tasting wine. And, I have to say one of his greatest character traits is that he is permanently curious. So I think sometimes because, you know, he turned 60 on the night of suits and sneakers, which was quite epic. But when you saw him exhausted, it was purely because he just, he handled it with us. He stayed with us the whole way through that night. For example, he was just dead. He had, you can imagine how many people were asking him questions at the meet and greet. And yeah, but he is the most inquisitive human being. And I think that's his superpower. So how many speakers have you had now on Suits and Sneakers? About 20 odd here, 25? Yeah, you can say, well, we've, we've run five and an average of four speakers per session. So in that regard, 20. But where I've been very lucky is that that's the big events, the big, five big main events. We have a weekly version of Suits and Sneakers called Suits and Sneakers Fixed. So we've had so many different speakers come through that. That's really awesome. In fact, I think that's where the real learning takes place is the smaller events because it's one speaker fixed on one topic. Same as here, he's got time to kind of get into it and really offer thought leadership. And then we recently started a, a, a separate series called Real Life MBA. Now, just in two events there, we've had 36 speakers um, because, of the, yeah, because of the nature of what the Real Life MBA is. So it's it's super interesting at the moment. Much like you, uh, Matt, I'm getting to meet some really interesting people uh, through this process. Um, in fact, I was slightly late for our conversation today because I bumped into Gilan Gok, who, whose podcast I was listening to this morning with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's such a small world sometimes, eh? Jeez, yeah. But have you? Have you you've, and did you get to the part where you pulled that image out of my brain? Is it an elephant? <laughs> All right. So Matt is now rolling on the floor. <laughs> oh, my God. Ironically, he just asked me the same question. But no, I was listening to this podcast at gym. And uh, when it was time to go, I, it was just before this. So okay. tomorrow morning when I'm back at gym, yeah. I'll find out how he plucked images out of your brain. So fucking weird. Yeah. But amazing. Uh, if you guys haven't listened to it, go there and check it out. It's pretty insane what this guy can do. If I can just add to that, you know, I, I've become good friends with Gillan. Gillan spoke at Suits and Sneakers 3 March last year. Um, but over and above that, we've become good friends, which is a lot of what happens with Suits and Sneakers. I guess even much like you and I. But Gillan, myself, John Sane, a few of us were all at Africa Burn recently. <laughs> and I'll tell you why I have to tell you the story is that it was so funny that we're sitting there on like a Friday afternoon. It's belting hot outside so we're sitting under the tent and for two days the guys have been goading gillan show us a trick you know they like trying to relate i mean they're being sarcastic because it's guys being guys show us a show us a magic trick you know they just keep on at him and he handled it i'll never forget he handled the the three or four occasions that they went at him so well 
didn't say anything. And then like a few hours later, when they pushed him one more time, he just calmly got up and blew our fucking minds. Like the tricks that he did there. And he's telling us what he's going to do. And we're like, you're not saying no, but you're like, I I can't see how he's going to do X, Y, and Z. And he did it. We got up like kids. It was back to, it was really a show. It was incredible. So I would definitely listen to that podcast with Gillan, but more I'd try to go see Gillan at some point because the stuff that he does is quite incredible. Yeah, it really is. So just going back to your speakers, and I know this is a tough question. I'm going to put you on the spot though. It's what I have to do. <laughs> but who has been the best speaker to date? Who jumps for you? And if you can select someone, why? Hmm, that's a really good question. Okay, so 20 speakers. I'm going to do, put it specifically in context of that the actual event that they spoke at. And I'm going to rate that specific performance. Um, there are three names, and then I'm going to kind of draw it. Three names that, that kind of come out. Vusi Timbukwaya spoke at Suits and Sneakers 3 last year. He was unbelievable for me. He just – he had the audience's attention. Um, he was magnificent, and he was relevant. In fact, he's got the most watched Suits and Sneakers video because obviously, you know, we record these these talks and put them online. So can is, I jump in there? Sure. Where, where Are they on your website? No, no. We, they're simply sitting on YouTube. Okay. So Suits and Sneakers has a YouTube channel. So Vusi Timbukwaya was one. The same night we had Dusty Rich, who's a comedian, and he came back now recently to MC the fifth Suits and Sneakers. But he spoke last year, March, at Suits and Sneakers 3. And the way he orotates his angle, because he, he's funny – But, you know, these comedians, the really good ones, are super intelligent. So they're not just funny. They've got a great angle. But if I had to pick out of them the three, the the number one for me recently was Rich Maholland, which he spoke at um, Suits and Sneakers 5. He spoke last at this event. And Rich is the master at this. You know, he, he does these things like I'm a speaker. We're very different speakers, but what he does is, besides the fact that his actual presentations are good, I mean, he has to be, that's what he does for a living. Mr. Presentation Theory. Yes. Over and above that, that's not what what gets him the nod. For me, it's his ability to be telling three stories in one, and he throws something out there, he throws it out in a way that you, you follow it, then he parks it, and then he comes back to it later, and the way he ended his talk was that he pulled all three of these, almost these frisbees that he threw out back and it all connects. And when it does, you watch the entire audience just be like, I did not see that coming. You, you can just see brains blown. <laughs> and for me, I mean, you can, you can create presentations till you blew in the face. That storytelling ability, that is innate. He is a thought leader because he, he can create stories out of nowhere. And he can do it in a way that you just sit and listen. So for me, yeah, the way Rich did what he did at Suits and Sneakers 5. But I mean, also in fairness, it's the most recent and it's the most fresh yeah. in my brain. But yeah, those three really stand out. Well, Howard Saxton says very similar things. He says the best, he's the world's best storyteller. So uh, Rich, if you're listening, I'm going to come calling. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and just to add to that, then Rich spoke again just the very next day at the Real Life NBA. What's scary is that Totally different topic, different theme. He he effectively created both just then and there. You know, some people are lucky to be able to create a talk like one of those talks in their lifetimes. He created those two for those two days. Yeah. That makes it – you have to just say that that is really incredible. Yeah. So 
change is obviously our burning platform. What have you seen change from a um, from the South African general population about understanding what you're trying to do? And because I find like really big goals like this, uh, and when you, especially when you're talking about education and a paradigm that's completely new and disruptive by by its very nature, um, it can be oftentimes very difficult to understand, but most importantly, difficult to believe that it's possible. So how have you seen the South African population change when it, when you talk about suits and sneakers and your your BHAG about fixing the educational system of South Africa? Yeah, that's a really good question, Matt. I think what I've noticed, okay, we've been very lucky because when I first started Suits and Sneakers, my idea was twofold. How do we fix learning in the workplace? How do we update it? Because it's broken there. But if it's broken there, it's also broken in schools and universities. So although these are two separate markets, I felt like there's a common thread between the two and we wanted to fix both. Now, I had no clue how to fix both, but I knew how to draw a crowd and I knew how to get the conversation going, which is why I started with events. Sometimes people come up to me and they go, I don't know what Suits and Sneakers is. Are you an events company? And I understand that because we use events a lot. But for me, it's just a vehicle to creating the kind of change. So what I've seen in the last two years is that if you want to create change, you have to get a large enough group of audience into one central space and get them all thinking the same. And if you can do that consistently, the change does start to happen. So what happened was we started with Suits and Sneakers 1. June, no, sorry, July 2015, a thousand people. Most of those thousand people had no clue why they were even coming to the event. But we lured them in with, hey, this is kind of like a South African version of TED. Because I needed something that they could relate to. And Gareth Cliff was talking at the first one. So I had two angles, you know, a familiar face and a familiar concept. But when they got there, I was trying to explain my why, that learning is broken in the workplace learning is broken at schools and universities and this future is coming at us that is exponentially changing and the current system simply won't do but i think what started to become really interesting is that people are starting to buy into what we're doing because we actually show them part of the solution by coming to the event when you're actually there we're trying to give you this highlights package of learning and to show you that learning doesn't have to be boring or dreary it doesn't have to be death by powerpoint you can be you can be engaged and educated at the same time. So that's played into our favor. The events create a bit of a tipping point. And the more people hear about it, it makes it easier for them to accept that this change is coming. Plus, a lot of people who come to these talks, maybe they feel that the system is broken, but they don't know how to articulate it. And when someone gives them clear words, words that they can hold on to and relate to, I think that changes the game for them equally. You know, and the luckily, in my case, I'm not just using me to try to create the change. When a Rich Mulholland or a John Sane or a Gillan Gork or all of these, a lot of these guys that you had on your podcast, when they're up there speaking and giving their points of view, so these are great orators in their own right. So I'm, I'm kind of leveraging off them to also get my point across. Go up there, give people great value in the form of thought leadership, but also make it super fun and super interesting so that people go, that's what education should be about. And as soon as they've had a little bit of taste of what it should be about, then it's very hard to unsee how broken the current institution is. Sure. 
And from a corporate South Africa perspective, you're obviously doing these massive events with, you know, between three and 4,000 odd people. And obviously that's going to grow as you kind of mature and you go into like suits and sneakers, 52 is probably going to be like in a stadium somewhere. I hope that actually manifests for you. I really do. Um, but going back to corporate South Africa, how have they changed in terms of their attitude towards supporting you in your in your vision for uh, for South Africa in terms of education? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. I mean, it's hard to put them in all one bundle. Some of them are the same knobs that they've always been. Let's call a spade a spade. <laughs> really, because corporates, corporates, what they don't have in their favor is that we're moving into this exponentially changing world. Steve Pinter actually gives, keeps giving me this saying, the fast eat the slow. And it's true. And so what corporates have to do is they have to reimagine all their processes so that they can move faster. And I think people don't like to think about it like this, but Google and Facebook, for example, are corporates. They're much bigger than the biggest corporates we have here, but there's an attitude of moving fast at the top, which permeates down. So for me, it is possible. So you get some companies that, or some corporates, that they are simply slow, they're arrogant, because right now they're on the top of the food chain. And, you know, parts of them listen. Maybe maybe the message is not always getting to the top, but certainly people within the organization are listening. So we've been lucky like that. But then you get some organizations that have done a great job. Uh, and I don't want to drop names. I don't want to make it about that. But you've got some great companies who have assisted us, um, who really have have taken us to task and, and thought, you're right, this future, this future is coming. These changes are happening the way you say they're happening. And it is our responsibility to jump in with you. And they have. And I think the same thing, it's just a tipping point. When we try to start Suits and Sneakers the first time, we just needed a few people to listen. Now we've just exchanged people for corporates. We just need a few more corporates to listen, you know, and then a few more and then a few more. And then eventually they'll, you know, I think it will get to that point where they'll, they won't be able to argue, especially once our voice gets bigger. And that's why change and technology and all the things you're wanting to work. The fact that you're now sitting in this, in this office. And, or in this boardroom and we're doing this and then this can get to thousands or hundreds of thousands, however many people is, it's frightening and it's, it's allowing us to act like corporates, but without the, the slow size. The arthritic inertia. But I have to say that because I, I still talk to people as individuals before I talk to them as, as corporates, individuals do tend to move quicker, right? Obviously. And it's those individuals that if you can turn them into brand ambassadors, not of suits and sneakers, but of the why that exists within suits and sneakers, we've been very lucky with that. 
We've been very lucky that within key corporate companies that we're starting to do work with, it all started because of one or two people who come to the events religiously and they get so hooked on it that they're the ones shouting from within the organization, please meet Mark or please come to this event. And then they take three or four people with them and then 20 with them. And then I went on a speaking tour March, April, May, where I did 70 keynotes in 40 days. And that in itself was frightening because then grab people into one central space, like a room, give them a perspective, do it with energy, and it's hard for them to argue. They come all come at you afterwards and go, sure, got to do something. So, to, so sorry, to answer your question, yes, actually, surprisingly, it's moving faster than I thought, but still never fast enough. What's the next big step change for suits and sneakers? What are you planning? Because I know you're planning. You're always hustling. There's always, <laughs> that, I mean, you know, to your point, like you did the, tried the podcast thing, but where are you going next? Like what's that next big step change that we can expect to see? So if I can divide it into three areas, uh, one is that I believe to really tackle the changes that need to be made within education and learning in the workplace, Suits and Sneaker actually partly needs to become a media house. So I'm taking video very seriously, right? The ability for that video to go viral in its nature, um, which confuses people. What are you? Are you a media company? Are you trying to fix education? Well, we're all of them. We're all of it. We need to have like a mouthpiece that the world, you know, that in other words, I need the interaction to happen with suits and sneakers on a daily basis, not twice a year at a big event and not even once a week. So that's where the media comes in. If you're permanently pushing out content, people are getting a daily interaction with you and they're empowered to do something because all they have to do is share it if they like it. That's why I think that's what's going to create the tipping point. That's one. Two, we've recently started the suits and sneakers membership. Um, and the reason for that is, and you may have missed it because you weren't there at the main event, but the idea is that, yes, companies need to get involved and help us, but so do people. And what I realized was I actually in this process haven't been empowering people. You know, if you get switched on, Matt, you've got a platform. So I could typically say, dude, this is what I do with suits and sneakers. And you could say, dude, I want to help. I want you on my show. But I wasn't giving people an option. The everyday average person who has a job and who doesn't have a podcast to actually do something with me more than just attend the events themselves. So I thought about the suits and sneakers membership for quite a while and I put it out there to test. And the response was incredible that people said, we'll make you a deal. We'll pay you a monthly fee because we want better content, but we also bind to your why. And we'd love, we believe that you will use the money, not just to improve our experience, but also to do things like create an R and D division to truly understand the nature of what the problem is, lobby government, and actually going to the point of creating our own schools and universities. So that brings me to the third point, media membership. And thirdly, I think that the future of suits and sneakers and what I'm really working hard on is finally getting to what we're wanting to do in the beginning, which was fix learning in the workplace so we're starting to do that. Companies are starting to pay us monthly retainers to kind of plot and plan how they should reimagine it. And we're using that process to ultimately derive enough revenue to build a university ecosystem that ultimately can allow the average South African to attend a quality educational system at very little to no cost. And I mean, I think from that perspective, that's always been the heart of what I've been trying to do. As you know, it's just... It's never, it never starts out simple, you know. Um, John Sane talks about taking a moonshot. This is the moonshot. And there's a, there's a saying that he has that oftentimes 
when you start to take a moonshot, you have no clue how to fix it, but you just got to get moving and you'll figure out the rest. I guess it's like jumping off the tallest mountain and building a plane on the way down. This is what I'm trying to do. The rest of the show is coming up shortly. But now a quick word from just two of our sponsors that help make this show possible. Platform 45 are Ruby on Rails developers who build design-driven software for web and mobile. Over the past decade or so, they have deployed tens of millions of lines of code and have built software for the likes of NASA and built platforms for five different startups now that have valuations in excess of $100 million. They also give back to the community of programmers through their events, We Think Code and Code and Coffee. So for more information, send an email to hi at platform45.com or check out some of the rad stuff they have built by visiting platform45.com. On the 27th of July, that's a Thursday, Suits and Sneakers and the Matt Brown Show will be launching an event called Cryptocurrencies, Blockchain, Bitcoin and the Future of Money. This will be a live podcast with a real audience and I'll be discussing how these disruptive technologies are impacting the shape and future of business. We'll also be exploring what its implications are for decision makers, whether you're living in a corporate environment or whether you're running your own business. Our panelists include South Africa's definitive experts on the subject of cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and Bitcoin, and include the likes of Simon Dingle from Phantom Design, Vanna Van Royen from Lumo, Fazam Esani from RMB, Lorin Gamaroff from Banky Moon, and of course myself. So this is an event not to be missed. It will be held between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. at the Suits and Sneakers co-working space Impello in Greenside in Johannesburg. It will include a bit of a networking session. The best part is that this event is actually free, but seats are limited and tickets, I can guarantee you, with panelists like this will sell out quickly. So head to qkt.io forward slash crypto c-r-y-p-t-o that's qkt.io forward slash crypto to book your seat while they are available i think howard saxton was telling me um his one of his mentors or something was saying an entrepreneur is like jumping out of an airplane with only a silkworm and a whole bunch of belief <laughs> i would say it could even sometimes be worse than that you know that really and i know people can't picture that it could be but it really it's horrible sometimes you most people have seen that image going around that meme on facebook or twitter or wherever where it shows you like the day in the life of the entrepreneur and it looks like a stock market shape yeah yeah they don't understand the the degree of the high and the degree of the, the low degree of that of the stock low. market shape. yeah i know it's 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 so difficult to get someone who hasn't tried it or done it to really understand yes like and i don't i don't care how long they've known you like they'll never really know no. like the words don't land for them it's why Elon Musk is building a, a brain interface thing. That's his next startup. I don't know whether you Neuralink, yeah. Neuralink, yeah. Is to stop that from happening. So you really get the, all the emotions and the, cause I mean, I'd love to be able to, to translate that or just to get someone to understand, you know, cause I, I was, I keep mentioning hard for some reason, but we were talking about this thing that, um, or this principle that anybody can be an entrepreneur, but it's not for everyone for that exact reason because it's so fucking hard. And you've got to you've got to like really deal with change, uh, and change in terms like another one, um, another great saying from uh, Craig Mullet. Uh, he's a New York-based uh, VC. 
Um, and he was saying, you know, no spreadsheets met the realities of the market. And I've literally just gone through that same thing. You know, um, I've spoken about this in previous episodes, but change is something that you just have to deal with, both in your own business, but in your personal lives. Personal lives, I suppose, is probably easier to deal with sometimes um, if you don't come across these big moments. You know, like I say, life's filled with moments and you don't get many moments in your life, but these moments will define what you do. One of those moments could be just leaving corporate and deciding to become an entrepreneur but then having to deal with the, the punches and the change that's necessary. But internally within you, more than it is around the markets and your products and services, because that's stuff you can fix. Like you can put me in a boardroom with someone, a prospective client, and I'll be able to pick out where the opportunities are to fix a problem or articulate a problem that the client doesn't have or to convince them that they have an itch. Do you know what I mean? <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, but I do think it's a personal thing. So, my just a question for you: Like, how have you changed over the last ten months or so? So, wow, I'm just still digesting what you just said, and you're so spot on. If you're really running toward fixing a big problem, and you're doing it in a heartfelt way, there's no way you can't change. How have I changed? I think at the risk of sounding like that guy, I've certainly become more educated, right? I mean, the whole thing that I'm trying to do is disrupt education. So I've had to throw myself into my craft of education, informal education. Um, I've really upped that to to another level, you know? Um, and I think that really has impacted me. I have more empathy than I've ever had. I think that's half about getting older, but also seeing the problems for what they really are. You know, when the more you start to ask why, why is something a certain way? Take South Africa and take racism, which a lot of people like to sweep under the carpet, but it's still really prevalent in, in certain spaces. And because we come from such different places, all of us, we often tend to just stigmatize why it is that we're angry, upset, feeling racist, whatever it is. But the real trick is to get to a point where you truly have empathy and you truly understand a person's problems from their side. And I think when you tackle the big problem like education, and I have to just say, education is a means to an end for me. Education is a means to solving inequality, which I think is the greatest problem that exists in South Africa. So I don't want to get too caught up either just on education. We've got some seriously big problems in South Africa. And one of the biggest exists in the form of inequality. Turns out we have the highest levels of inequality in the world if you measure it by the Gini coefficient. So with that being said, the reason why I've always been so personal or so, or the reason why um, education has been so intimate to me is because it's an answer. It's, a, it's an answer to inequality. And so part of that, I've been studying the problem to understand it in its, du- its deepest, deepest moments. Understanding racism, understanding the former apartheid structure because we abolished the system, but we didn't abolish the structures, you know. And, and to really understand why are people committing crime the way they are? Why does poverty really exist? Why is government really putting their hand that far deep in the cookie jar? Like, why are these things happening? Instead of just being a guy who goes, ah, to hell with him, fuck those guys. It, it doesn't solve the problem. So if you ask me, how have I changed? For me, in the last 10 months... I've started to delve so much deeper into the problems. And instead of just being like, it's broken, this is messy, I don't have time for it. Even our recession or our current economic climate, why? 
to really understand it and to be sympathetic and empathetic toward what's going on. That for me has... I think that if you're an entrepreneur and you go through really hard times, you will start to naturally be empathetic toward other people because you know what it's like to hit that bottom. And so when you come out of the top... But yeah, I would say that that's how I've changed mostly. My, my levels of empathy have jumped through the roof on the back of understanding the problem in greater detail. So just two things. One, a comment. When you, I always ask why, as you know, at the uh, end of uh, an interview, because it helps really understand. Well, one, it's a bloody hard question to answer just off the bat. Um, but also it uncovers your highest motivation or as John Sarney would say, your highest excitement, right? Um, so just on why, strategically, I've always found that, like if you say, why does... Uh, why does it? Why is education the way that it is? When you get an answer, ask why to that, yes. and ask why to that next answer, and ask why again. Like a nagging ev- five-year-old. Eventually, you will get down to first principles, as Elon Musk would say. Yes. To your point um, around, it's actually not about education; it's about inequality. So, yes. how do you fix inequality? Do you know what I mean? And it just gives you new perspectives or frames within which to think laterally. Yes. I just feel like my understanding of the world, and I'm not saying I'm I'm well understood across all borders, but my understanding of the world is just so dramatically increased because I often think about informal education like every day that you watch a video and every time you listen to a podcast, and that's why I love podcasts, I love what you're doing. Every time you listen to, if you just were to take the Matt Brown show and listen to that flat out for an episode a day, what you're actually doing is you're coloring in this map of the world internally in your head with tons of different opinions, thoughts, you know, points of view, and it's helping you kind of make more sense of the world. And so I think that if you do that every single day, podcasts, videos, reading, you're just immersing yourself in so many different people's thoughts, points of view, and opinions. And eventually you start to you start to understand lots of whys, you know, why the world works in many different ways. And then I think it makes it easier to spot what the problems are. And then it makes it easier to spot what the gaps are. And I guess what an entrepreneur truly does is solve big problems for whichever entity. And if the problem is big enough and valuable enough, you will make enough money. So that's, I feel so equipped and I feel like it's just starting to, to convert to a monetary sense. For the first time, I feel like the money that I'm making in my life, it's not in direct proportion to my value yet, but it's getting there. And I'm starting to take that much, so much more personally because I'm in an industry where no one's really doing it the way we're doing it. So I feel like every cent we make, we actually, we've earned, you know, and that, that's probably the best feeling. But my understanding of the world at large is, is so interesting. And I guess with that comes empathy. So you mentioned that you dug deeper into education what is the, if, uh, maybe there isn't an answer to this, but when, as you've dug deeper into the problems that exist within the education system specifically, what jumps for you as like a key thing? Like if you could solve one problem, whether it's a structure or systems related, or maybe there's a, an interlink between those two things, what is it? What have you seen? Yeah, I, th- look, there's a, there's a handful of, of touch points where it's broken. If I were to pick a highlights package, one is that learning should be fun. So what we're seeing with learning, whether it be in the workplace or at school and university, if people move toward learning in this way, if you hear people go, Oh God, I have to do that thing. Oh God, I have to go to that workshop. Oh God, I have to go to that conference. 
oh, that guy's presenting. When anybody has that attitude toward it, it's telling me that it's not truly adopted. And it's so ironic because it goes against the first principles of what learning is about. Learning is it's fun. It's addictive. It starts to equal progress, and that's addictive. So I feel like we've we've missed out on, we truly haven't understood um, in our in our current institutions, schools, universities, and the workplace, how to make learning fun. So style, if we could call it style, is a key factor that we need to to work on. But then more than that, I just I guess it's also just how we think about learning. You know, if you think about education as a vehicle toward upgrading your app, and if you think of yourself and your brain as an app, and not to reduce you to software and hardware, but you are an app in this world, and the world is changing. Windows 95 was a great operating system. Was it? Was it? Well, in 1995, <laughs> it was incredible. If you ask me to use it now, hate it. Yeah. So the thinking to say to someone, oh, I got a degree 20 years ago. All I hear is, oh, I'm still running on Windows 95. I don't see the need to upgrade. And I think that that mentality is hurting us in schools, in universities, and in the workplace, we're telling kids, just get this piece of paper, then you shop. doesn't work that way. It should be, yes, you can go to varsity to learn a specific skill. Then you've just got started. Welcome to the world of ongoing forever education. But we're not telling people that. So that mentality. Um, and then obviously the things like Simon, I'm not Simon Sonic, um, Sir Ken Robinson and them talk about that intelligence is broad. And what the schooling system does, what the formal education system says is, are you, are you good or bad at math? Are you good or bad at science? If you're bad at those two, you're actually not intelligent. Whereas that's one form of intelligence. Dance and art is another form of intelligence. You know, Ronaldo and Messi, watching what they can do with a football, that's a certain time, type of kinesthetic intelligence. You know, so they, they've got it on their high end. But at school, we don't, we don't praise the football player like we praise the mathematician or the scientist, but they're all just forms of intelligence. So there's so many of these old, archaic, outdated methodologies being taught in schools, in universities, in the workplace. And you look at it, we've just accepted that these are all true. And and what we are, if, if you think about it, we're just producing a world of non-critical thinkers. So you take, some people get out of the system, they just follow blindly. Some take their 20s. You know, the most the most successful people often were messy in their early teens and 20s because they're actually unwinding from the system and recoiling to really understanding what's out there. I mean, you know, Matt, I could go, I could go at this with you like for long, right? Yes, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. I guess I could go, but, but yeah, I mean, there's, unfortunately, I just can't pick one point. I think those three are, okay. are pretty sound. So you're familiar with the term change agent. Yes. If someone is a change agent or an agent for change, I would regard you as an agent for change. Um, how, like, I just want to pick up on one of the things you just mentioned around people almost settle, to use another term uh, or word for education. They've settled for the education that they got. And when you settle for anything, it's generally when you've given up. And you won't upgrade from 95 to whatever, Vista. Remember Vista? <laughs> uh, Microsoft, if you're listening. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but I'm always fascinated about what makes someone change something about themselves, in their businesses. They may be in a shit relationship. They may just be um, 
complacent with life, depressed or whatever the situation might be. But there's tons of people out there listening to us right now who may not be happy with the status quo. They've settled for whatever reason. So what creates the spark in someone to change things? So I think the one thing we've got in our favor with education and more specifically learning is that it's actually innate in all of us. We are learning machines. That's what we do. Even when we don't think we are, we are learning. I guess it's just the rate at which we're learning. Is it keeping up with the rate of change? So I've often had to deal with people who tell me not everybody is an active learner like you. And I just disagree. We just haven't managed to switch on their hot button yet. And I think that when you can make this relatable, that's why I think we've done so well with suits and sneakers because I don't have a formal education. I'm on the other end. And it's so ironic that a guy who doesn't have education is trying to fix it. But I think it had to happen that way because I'm relatable and the message, forget me, it's relatable. So what I've found is that you can never judge people and and be sure that they just, this kind of learning won't, won't switch them on because they've never really responded to anything else, be it in schools, university, the workplace. People have the weirdest tipping point. Um, but I think the thing that's in our favor is that people are innately learning machines. So have you never, have you ever thought about it when people who might be in a bad place in their life just find a hobby or something that just, that just sticks for them and then they, they almost consume everything in it, you know, they become learning machines because that hot button was just switched on. So I think there's a variety of factors of what you can do to, to put, to push someone's hot button again, but largely just showing them the things I was telling you about earlier, just showing them that intelligence is broad. That's why Sir Ken Robinson's do schools kill creativity is the most watched Ted talk of all time, because it's a dry old English professor telling you, I am a professor. Let me tell you how we got it wrong. The system's wrong. You're right. Don't feel marginalized. You probably were marginalized at school, but we were wrong. That message got him, you know, he's got polio or he had polio in one of his legs. So he, the guy can't even move. He, it's not because his talk is energetic. He is funny, but he's relatable. So I think that that's your, that's our biggest bet is to get enough people into a room and just if I can get them leaving, go just going, Hey, we've got it wrong, but don't worry. You're not wrong. We've actually, we, don't worry, you're, you're, you're going to switch on and you're going to switch on soon. And when they feel relatable, like I think that that's certainly I've seen in all the people that have come through our events, you know, watched our videos, whatever, they always come back and say, you know, it's so true because I've thought about it. And when I was school and you, once they get on that train, then they, their heart is open. And then, I mean, then all they have to do is do the things that five-year-olds are really good at. Learn, be curious, ask why you're winning. Yeah, totally agree. So I want to just bring this all back to the entrepreneur for a second. And when you look at the motivations of a young entrepreneur specifically, not necessarily old dogs like you and me. <laughs> <clears throat> and that includes you, John and Rich. Um, <laughs> I see those, I see those greys. Uh, yeah, thanks. You're getting a bit there. of salt and pepper. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but when you, I mean, like I just take myself for instance, you know, I can't comment for anybody else, but when I was younger, and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've been in and out of corporates and that kind of thing. But um, like it was always about money and status and success and that kind of thing. Uh, and as I've matured, it changes. 
And to use your uh, word empathy that you mentioned earlier, it's just something that you kind of grow into almost. Do you know what I mean? Especially when you look back at the journey of your your own journey as an entrepreneur and that kind of thing. Um, so I'm fascinated to get your view on what would you say to a young aspiring entrepreneur who's got money and status on his mind? And this is especially true today in South Africa. There's tons of research to back it up. Now, education is a youth-focused thing, right? Uh, obviously, it's for everyone, but it's that's where the engine room is going to sit. What advice do you have to aspiring young entrepreneurs who potentially have money and success on their mind? And how would you change their mindset towards making a positive difference? Wow. Talk about putting a brother on the spot. <laughs> okay. John said something to me once about his, um, John Sarno, this is, um, and he told me about the process as he was writing his book, Watch a Moonshot. And he said that in his younger days, he was chasing wealth because he didn't want to be poor. And he's like, it's not a very good why. So I, I think some people are innately built. First, I would, I would say that the status isn't always what it's cracked up to be. But to, in order to understand that, you have to go through your own processes to understand that. I mean, I was born in a genuine attention hog. You know, and only as I got an older, it's ironic because now I'm starting to value the attention less and less. It's good for suits and sneakers. But actually, I just want to do my thing, you know, with my good mates and not be in it too much. So the question is, I have no issue if you want to make a lot of money and have status. Just, just know why. Because if it's about fulfillment, without sounding all deeply cliched, what I found is that the same way human beings are built to learn, we're built to offer service. And I couldn't quite articulate in my 20s when I was doing really well from entrepreneurship why I was I felt niggly and unhappy. And it turns out that I didn't actually, my calling is not to be a marketer. My job is not to help companies sell more shit cheese, right? That's not actually my calling. I was good at a part of it. My calling was to help people be better in this case, learn a specific skill, etc. cetera. Um, and I've, I've been very happy to forgo the money um, because again, I think that money, money happens when you're solving problems or big problems, deep problems for, for a big enough group of people. That's what Peter Diamandis says. The new billionaire is a guy who solves the problems for a billion people. But what you get with that is that you're wanting, you, the byproduct of excellence is money. You know, so if you think about why people make money, it's just, I actually can almost say right now, when you're not making lots of money, there's something just broken in the value chain for a little bit, for a short bit, in that you're not quite executing on the value to give to others. So, without jumping all over the shop, I think, I would say to that guy, look, cool, money and status is is great. Even more money than status because money is energy and you can use money to do different things. But just know why you're trying to make the money. If it's because you don't want to be poor, because you want to be known, because you want to be seen, that never ends, lands in fulfillment. But if you want to, if you want to fix big problems and, and make a difference and then you make money as a byproduct, I can't think of a better way and so that's why I was saying to you earlier about the money that I make, because it's it's wholesome money for me. I'm making it while, do, not just do in the fallacy, do what you love. I also call bullshit on that. That's a that's a podcast for another time, I guess. But I'm making money while solving a big problem that I'm passionate about. That's the best feeling in the world. I'll take I'll happily take less money for the next five years, ten years, 
to to I do want it to kick on eventually. I want to be rewarded for my efforts. So I think if someone started to explore that why, like deeply, not in a cliched way, I think they'd find there's absolutely no reason to be rich for the sake of rich. So how do you uncover that? Because to your point, like, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> um, but how do you uncover that? Because your why, more specifically, because like to your point, do what you love. It's definitely another podcast for another time, but so is follow your passion. Do you know what I mean? Like all these things have been bandied about for so long and it was stuff that I grew up with when I was at school and university and you like when you're very young, it's like, hey, Maddie, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't fucking know. <laughs> how, how the fuck can you ask a young kid like, oh, what, but don't you want to be a, a pilot or a, a, like a fireman or something? No, I don't want to be a What do you want to, and the only thing I could think of was I want to be in boardrooms. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? And because like my dad was a big influence on me at the time. So how do you uncover your why when you're young? I think that is there's a there's a matter of things that you there's what's in your control and what's out of your control. What's out of your control is if you're in a great environment with good mentors, in this case parents, you know, people who are helping you. For example, the one thing I would want to do with my kids is never push them towards something. I want to help them uncover many things, but I never want them to I never want to place that pressure on them. I want to place just enough pressure on them that they take it seriously, but not enough that they think they have to know what they need to do by that time they're 18. You know, I'd love to see what would happen if everybody married their girlfriend when they were eight free, from when they were eighteen, and how that works out? You know, hell no. Yeah. So, so that's one side, but that's the side you can't control. The side you can control is, I really something that worked for me. I guess it comes down to two things. I can only say from personal experience. One is, Steve Jobs always spoke about um, putting dots on a map, and that you can't see how the dots connect going forward, but at some point you look back and they connect. Well, I think the sooner you do more things and try more things out and put more dots on the map. That's really in your favor because eventually you will wither. You'll go tired of just putting, you'll kind of get a feeling in a sense, but I guess that's also, that's the next key is putting dots on the map and then always having a level of introspection to ask yourself. And so I guess we have to touch on for two seconds, doing what you love. I think there's a very short way to say why people shouldn't just do what they love. You know, I, I have an analogy. If if what you love is is collecting different patches of dirt, that is that valuable to other people? If it's not, that's the worst advice you can give a youngster. Do what you love. Do what you're passionate about. Well, I'm passionate about spending all my time outside mucking about with dirt. Unless you're about to open up a whole brand new niche, which it's a long shot. Rather don't. Don't encourage your kids to do what they love. Encourage them to do what they're passionate about in a way that that thing also makes a big difference. I think that's the, the defining patch. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like, like, I think that's the key because, because there's many – I mean, Rich Mulholland actually talks about it a lot. He's passionate about staying at home with his family and eating cake. Do you know, like, let's, let's, let's separate those things. I think you have to do things that you're passionate about that make a big difference to others or that solve a big problem from an economical perspective, and then you are winning. So in my case, it came down to – I have a personality that wants to be out there, wants to share my points of view. I'm By nature, I'm a teacher, you know, my thinking. But then added to that, we've got this gaping massive problem being education and learning in the workplace. And they're both so broken. And if we get them to come right, it's there's so much value for everybody involved in that. So this is where you've got a thing where lines, what I'm good at, um, what I'm passionate about, 
and what could solve big problems. That's why I believe in suits and sneakers. You know, I think it ticks all three boxes. And I think that if you could think about it like that, that's a good framework for why should you do something? Why should you go on your own? Or why should you just stay in a job until you were, or why should you just not just spend your life traveling and work it out? I don't know, but definitely don't just do something because you're passionate about it. Um, but also don't just sit and do something because, oh, that's my job. Yeah, I, I, have an, I have an expression for that one. If you give the world what it wants, you won't give it what it needs. You need to write a book. <laughs> you need to, you need, or you need to coin a whole bunch of your phrases. You, uh, you're a guy who, 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 I mean, throughout this podcast, I'd love to count the different uh, quotes that you've come up with. Yeah, that's thanks to everyone else that's been on the show. So very few of them are mine. Why don't you write a book? Matt, I am actually, uh, I am actually busy putting together the skeleton for a book, um, quite seriously. And what turned me on to it in a big way was watching the process that John Sane went through writing What's Your Moonshot. I was intimately involved in that. I was there right from the beginning when he said, dude, I think I'm going to write a book. And obviously I wasn't there writing it with him, but I was so heavily involved in the process. Him and I talk pretty much every day. And what a cathartic, is that a word? Yes, it is. Cathartic. Act of catharsis. Like what a cathartic process because you're, he's right. If you want to be really good at something, teach it. And I think that that's what a book will do. But also the, the, the avenues that it opens for you, for the good, you know, so I guess the book has to start around trying to solve a problem. What problem can we solve? Otherwise, don't write the book. Or can it inspire? So, yes, I am. But I also don't want to do what I did with the podcast where it's like, ah, I'm doing a book. And then like a year later, people are like, oh, so you're doing a book, right? But I have really, probably a, I would say once a week, I give it, if this, half an hour to an hour. I just write some thoughts down. I just put a skeleton down and what I do is over time, it just starts to be a little bit more clear. What about you writing a book? Um, yeah, I've, I've had a few people ask me, um, and I've spoken to Rich about it. I'm actually, I've mentioned it before, but I'm giving a talk called The Big Red Button, How to Make the Stuff You Think. And it's really, um, the premise of it is really around everything that I've learned because I should not be sitting here having this talk with you right now. It goes against like pretty much everything um, that I was two years ago. And, and to your point and going back to the ridiculous onion story that I was telling earlier, like I've literally become like a new person. Like I used to script these shows, like I can't tell you just so I didn't sound stupid, you know? Um, and now I, like I don't, and it's just, it's, I've become comfortable with being here. And if, if I had to choose between consulting versus being here, if I could make this a business, a real business, a big fucking business, then I would do this all the time because nothing, nothing gives me like greater joy than having these kind of chats and picking and getting those things out of people's brains because unless they going back to the types of learning, like a book, it's fine, but it's once a book's out there, it's, it's like, um, it's like you get a very quick increase in consumption and then it's down. Do you know what I'm saying? In general. Yes. It's like, it's literally like a mean shot. <laughs> Sorry for a bad example. But, um, but with podcasts, that content's going to live forever. And it's, you know, this better than I do in many instances that like this stuff will be forever. Do you know what I mean? Like it's never, ever going to go anywhere. It's like the blockchain, the world could end and the blockchain will still live, <laughs> mm. you know? Um, 
But I have learned so much and I am thinking about it and I'll probably, I'm going to do a big event for the 100th podcast. I want to get all the previous guests from the show, fly them in if necessary. I'm going to do my own little small version of suits and sneakers just to get everybody around uh, a room. Again, going mm. back to your your kind of concept um, and have them all just have a bit of a thrash and, and hang out and do a 100th podcast with media there potentially and whatever and use that potentially as a kind of a, a platform to launch the, the idea for the book. But the talk is kind of, it's starting to, like you said, you spend an hour, 30 minutes a day writing those little notes. Yes, a week. A week, sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, and for me, like that talk is the start of it. Absolutely. You know? Well, I mean, I think you're in the world of media. And to go to your point, if anybody's listening that listened to our last podcast together and this one, they will, we, we joked, but they will note what a difference it is between then and now. And I think equally, Matt, what you're doing, uh, without starting to sound like the teacher, is that you are putting your own dots on the map. And that's why oftentimes those labors of love do turn into something incredible. Uh, it will come. I, I really do believe. I really believe that at some point you're going to look back and go, oh, hold on. He has, he has a few different ways of how to bring this together. Because the, the quality of the podcasts are good. You only have to, I mean, if any of you are listening and you're listening for the first time, because I'm going to punt this through suits and sneakers, obviously, go do yourself a favor and go back, go back 10 episodes, you know, listen from this one back. And this quality, you've managed to isolate these South African personalities in business, entrepreneurs, et cetera. And you are getting really good at extracting thought leadership out of them. And that is valuable. Uh, we, I just think we, unfortunately, we fall behind a little bit in South African terms on podcasts as a whole. I don't know why it's still so hard. It's growing, but it's still really slow. Um, the adoption of podcasts, but hell, we'll just listen to the radio all day. You know, it's just, it's, it kills me. It murders me. But what I do know is that once people convert, it's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, you can think about it for yourself. Um, I don't know what podcasts you, you listen to over and above, but, I cannot go back to listening to the radio as that's what I do with my time. It actually grates me here. <laughs> like if I, like just today, cause my phone battery went flat and I had the misfortune of driving <laughs> for 30 minutes. And I was like, what am I going to do? Sit here on my, on my own in the, in the silence, you know, silence of that's deafening in many respects. And I was like, Oh, fuck it. I'll just turn on the radio. Dude. No, bad idea. Depressing news, nothing informative, like music that's not really helping you learn. Or do you know what I mean? Like it's like radio is like skin deep and ads. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And the shit that brands are punting out there. Yes. There was an ad. A recycling company, right, was doing this ad with Cytrons music. Yep. Like what? I mean, what planet? Yeah, no, they've, they've all missed it. So. We're in total agreement on, on that end. So I think it will. I think it is going to rebound. We just need enough. I'll certainly be giving you the hand wherever I can because I, I really – I don't know. Is there any other really good local podcast? And, and we so – there are a million podcasts if you want to listen to internationals. If you want to hear Tim Ferriss talk about international examples, it's awesome. But locally, we so starve for it, which is why I'm so pro what you're doing and have been for such a long time. Anyways, that's it from my, I can sometimes give a good, proper go. <laughs> <laughs> dude, thank you so much. And well, and thanks for coming back onto the show, dude. It's been a real pleasure. I won't lie. Now that I know you a bit more, I've listened to your show many times. Everything that's happened. This is so much 
more fun sitting across from you, not sitting on the mattress. It's a better view rather than your bed. <laughs> Having a good laugh, getting deep, mocking the world. I mean, it's mock. And being able to say fuck a lot. I mean, I'm particularly happy about that. I just want to say that. <laughs> Unlike radio. <laughs> So thanks for having me, dude. It's been my pleasure, mate. So news about the Matt Brown show this week. When I first started podcasting, you know, I never dreamt that just 18 months later, I would have a loyal listenership in over 100 countries around the world. Over the past few months, I've received numerous requests from people asking for help in relation to helping them build their own branded content media platforms like the Matt Brown show. So after much pushing from my peers, I've launched a new company this week called Matt Brown Media. And it's a company that designs and builds podcasts for business owners and brands who want to tell their story in a fresh and exciting way to the audiences that they're trying to reach. And why wouldn't you want to jump into the space? There are currently over one and a half billion Apple iTunes podcast subscriptions. That's effectively a quarter of the planet Earth and it represents the next new wave in South African media. So to celebrate the launch, I've written a report. Yeah, you could actually call it more of an ebook, actually, but it's called the Pod Power Series. It's a four-part series which explains how I built Matt Brown Media using the Matt Brown Show, and we'll walk you through the details of the world of podcasting. Simply go to mattbrownmedia.co.za forward slash podpower to download this free guide. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Matt Brown Show. It's been an absolute privilege having you with us. And remember, if you'd like more information on Digital Kung Fu or our guests and the full show notes, all you have to do is head on over to digitalkungfu.co.za and you can catch us all over the social media graph. So until next time, Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.